Let's take our Bibles, Philippians 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge or confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's a lot here. We're not going to unpack it all today, but I'm going to begin the process let's pray father thank you for your word thank you for our time in philippians that you have the answers for us and i prayed in christ's name amen amen and you may be seated so we started this series in july and i've titled the message today the answer to selfishness which is christ mindedness Christ-mindedness, the answer to selfishness. If you read chapter 2, you see that this is the anti-selfishness passage. This is the antithesis, the, the opposite of what it means to be selfish when we read chapter 2. And so what it le- leads us to is the opposite of being selfish is to have a Christ-mindedness. Okay. Now with that said... Just in quick review, here's what we dealt with in July so far on this. We talked about, out of Philippians 1, why problems happen. We identified why those problems happen. And I think we've come to the conclusion. It's right there, heavy in Scripture, in chapter 1 of Philippians, that as long as Christ gets the glory and the gospel has a chance to be presented, that's why problems happen to Christians. You think about when Christ has shown the most through your life, it's usually been when you've gone through problems, right? And when situations have occurred that are out of the ordinary and people look at you and they see how you respond to that. So that's what we dealt with, why problems happen. And then we said the answer to problems is Christ first. And we spent a whole message Dealing about having Christ first. He's got to be first in our thoughts and in our hearts and in our minds. And that's what we dealt with. And then, two weeks ago, we talked about the response to problems. How do we respond? We know the answer is Christ. So how do we put that into our flesh, into into our spirit, into our lives? And we said, Christ has to be glorified. And as long as Christ is glorified through us, then we know that these problems 
can have an answer to them, even if we don't know the answer, right? I'm looking at people who have had things happen in your life. You've had things happen in your life that have no logical answer on this earth. But when you put Christ first and you allow the problem you went through, you allow the the sacrifice you gave up, that you gave, to bring glory to Christ, then there's a greater purpose, far greater than anything you and I can ever understand, and that eternity will declare it one day to us. And we as Christians have a deep faith. That's the depth and the width and the breadth of our faith. It's, it's, it's not just temporal. It's not just about right here and right now and what can make me feel good right now. Hey, look, you got a man suffering with liver cancer right now in our midst sitting here. He's at church today, and, and he's having trouble walking, and he's going through, through all of it. And if there's anybody in this building that can say, man, I'm not feeling good, and, and it's not happening for me today, it's him. But at the same time, out of his own mouth, he says, you know, with Christ's help, I'm going to beat this. Uh, Coming out of his own mouth, as long as God is glorified. I mean, that's the depth and the width and the breadth of a man's faith right there that you're living. You're seeing it and walking in front of you and me, right? That's what we see. So that's what we dealt with here. And now we pick up in chapter 2. And we see the answer to selfishness. Because see, what happens is this. When problems come, and if we don't have what I call the July answers that that we just preached and taught about, then we end up being selfish. Then it's all about me. Why are bad things happening to me? Why do I have this? Why me? Why, why, why? Why not somebody else? And it's all about self. But if you employ chapter 1 into your walk with God, now chapter 2 can become a reality. And you can defeat selfishness. Because let's just be honest, okay? That really is how sin manifests itself in our lives, right? It's because we're selfish. And it's because we're in a body that isn't complete yet. Our body wants its comfort, right? It, it, it really does. You know, um, I can't sleep at night if it's quiet in the house. So, I don't know, it was a long time ago I used to sleep and it was perfectly quiet. It had to be perfectly quiet. But now, I mean, the cars all the time, all kinds of stuff. It's just not perfectly quiet anymore. So, um, we bought one of these little fans, okay? Mm, got that little hum going. That worked for a while. Then, man, I needed something supercharged, you know, man. So I went old school. We got, got me this big old box fan. Ooh, man, it's like, you know, it sounds like a two-engine uh, turboprop coming in, you know. Ooh, man, it's, it, it's doing the job. Then Penny buys her a little bitty fan, and she puts it right there where it can blow in her face. And I got, I got, I was selfish, man. I was like, well, she's getting like, you know, I'm getting this air, but it's having to come way over there. And now she's getting this direct air. I want one too, so I went buy me a little one. And so now, man, I'm surrounded. We got, we got, we got the fan in the front. She's got that fan there. I got that fan there, and um, and and now I don't even have to. I don't even have to get close to her. I can turn around and get the air, you know, right there. Because anyway, okay, so. 
And I'm just like, man, I want to be as comfortable as I can. We all do, right? Well, that's the root, I think, of selfishness sometimes. It's all about us and our comfort. But living out this Christian life, if God's going to use you, He's going to make you uncomfortable. If God's going to use me, He's going to make me uncomfortable. And as a result of that, we're going to have to battle selfishness. And the answer, the antidote, is having a Christ-likeness, a Christ-mindset, a Christ-mindedness, okay? So let's start off here. The answer to selfishness, number one, Christ-mindedness. Number one, priorities. Christ first, others next. We have to have some priorities if we're going to mature and grow as Christians. Selflessness or selfish, I mean self, selfishness, the answer to it is to have the priorities in your life. Who are you living for and why? And then who's next? So if you look at Philippians 1.21, what does the Bible say in Philippians 1.21? Look at this verse. It says, for me to live is what? Christ. And to die is gain. Now we dealt with that in Philippians 1. We preached the whole message on that. But that's the point. Christ first, that's my priority, others second. Look at what the Bible says here in chapter 3. I mean, in chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourself. Value others above yourself. So if I'm going to battle the selfishness that wants to attack my life, the way I do it is to have the mind of Christ. And if I'm going to have the mind of Christ, then I've got, to, I, I, I've got to be like Christ. Christ's priority was His Father's will. I've come to seek and save the lost, He said, but He said, I've come to do the Father's will. And so for us as Christians, Christ is first. For me to live is for Christ. So whatever happens in my body, whatever happens in my walk, whatever happens to someone that I love, whatever happens in my job, whatever happens to me in my life, is for Christ to get the glory. So Christ first. That's who I live for. And now, secondly, I live for others next. Man, if I can have those priorities, it tempers my selfishness. It puts my selfishness in its right place. It helps me have the mind of Christ because Christ did not look at His situation as something to be selfishly held on to, the glory of heaven. The man, he limited himself, and he took upon the form of a human body with all the limitations and the issues and having to sleep and, 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 and all of those things that we go through. And he was tempted at all points as we are, yet without sin, the Bible says. And he had his priorities. So you and I have to have priorities. I can no longer live this life as a Christian for myself. Christ has got to be first. What does He want? And secondly, what, how can I serve others? You know, and I love the Scripture here in verse 3. That's the key verse of this, of this, this first section of, of, of uh, Scriptures here. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourself. So that brings us to the second thing. How do you combat selfishness with, with Christ-mindedness? Number two, humility. Humility. Christ's example. 
He was a servant. He was a servant. I want to read this to you uh, out of um, a quote from Warren Wiersbe's book in the Bible Exposition Commentary. He says, Philippians 2.6 states an amazing fact. Now, Philippians 2.6 says, Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He did not consider his equality with God as something selfishly to be held on to. Jesus did not think of himself. He thought of others. His outlook or attitude was that of unselfish concern for others. This is what is called the mind of Christ. An attitude that says, I cannot keep my privileges for myself. I must use them for others, and to do this, I will gladly lay them aside and pay whatever price is necessary. A reporter was interviewing a successful job counselor who had placed hundreds of workers in their, vacation, in their vocations quite happily. When asked the secret of his success, the man replied, if you want to find out what a worker is really like, don't give him responsibilities, give him or her privileges. Most people can handle responsibilities if you pay them enough. But it takes a real leader, somebody with godly quality, to use his privileges to help others and to build the organization or the team. A lesser man or woman will use privileges to promote themselves. See, Jesus used his heavenly privileges for the sake of others. Our sake. And that's the concept here. Jesus humbled himself. Just think about this, man. He limited himself to become a human. When I first got saved, I, I, I had a hard time wrapping my head around this. Okay, God, he's 100% God, and he's 100% man. So when he was in the womb of his mother, did he was he like fully developed like, like he was God? He was just like... Can't wait till I get out of here, man. You know, no. Uh, early as a baby Christian, I, that's kind of how I thought. But no, because he limited himself to become a man, the Bible says that he grew in stature. So he, as he was growing as a toddler and as a young boy and as a young man, his knowledge grew and grew and grew and grew because he limited himself. He walked out of where he was the right hand of the Father, and became a man to identify with you and me. Man, that's humility. To identify with the humble. And then he, not only did he come and identify with us, but he came and he served us. And he taught us that so many ways. And when he was with his disciples, he washed their feet and, and he taught them about the significance of washing their feet and why it was important and, and what it represented. And he said, if I'm going to be your leader, I've got to be your servant. Peter said, you can't wash my feet. And he said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part of me. And Peter said, well, then wash all of me. He taught us what it was to be a servant. Humility. Christ's example. Look at what James 4.10 says. James 4.10 says, in your relationship with one another have, no, that's, um, that's verses 5 through 8. Can you give me uh, James 4.10? Yeah. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. All right, number three. We said priorities, humility, 
unity. This is what combats selfishness through Christ-mindedness, a unity. Unity produces joy that is complete. And look at the words that the scriptures use to describe what happens when we have complete joy with the unity with other people. Look at what it says here. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being unified with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. See, what happens, y'all, in a church? We talked about this today in Sunday school. You can't, you can't have a God-honoring church where everybody's doing their own thing for themselves. See, a church is just like a family. In a family, you have people that love each other. Look, Penny and I are married. We love each other. We're committed to each other. A lot of things we have that are in common. But a lot of things that we are completely opposite on. She hangs her clothes from the left-hand side. I hang my clothes from the right-hand side. Mine is right. Hers is wrong. Hers is wrong. Right? Yeah. She likes to clean at a certain time of day. I like to clean at a different time of day. We're so opposite. She's always cold. I'm always hot in the house. Anybody else have that problem? Because I need some counseling. I need to know what you guys are doing and how you do it. No, we, we're, all, we're different, right? And we have different opinions. She likes sci-fi stuff. She's into this Marvel, uh, Marvel stuff on, on, um, on, on um, um, Netflix. I'd rather sit and watch that paint dry that's been painted 24 years ago and watch it dry another five years rather than watch sci-fi. I don't get nothing out of it. She puts up with football and tolerates a little while. She doesn't like to watch football with me because I get too fired up sometimes. And then the dog goes hide. And then Penny knows that, you know, oh, I don't like this. And so I've gotten better over the years of that. But the point, the point I'm making, we got all kinds of differences, right, and opinions. But let me tell you something. On the things that are important, we're unified. We made a commitment to one another 35 years ago, next month, that we are going to stay together forever and ever until death do us part. We made that commitment. We took it serious that day, and we're unified in that, Right? We're unified in our walk with God and what we believe in. We're unified in what makes a family and what makes a relationship. We're unified in how we view life and some things, on the things that really matter. Well, you see, in the church, it's the same way, guys. We don't have to agree with everything. We don't always have to like the same temperature of the room. We don't always have to like the same style of music. We don't always have to like this or that or whatever it might be. But I'll tell you, on the things that matter, Jesus is the answer for the world. Those things we need to be unified on. And that unity produces joy that is complete. That's what Paul was saying. He was in jail. And he says, make my joy complete. I don't want to hear words of how y'all are bickering and taking sides and fighting and not living for God and not living for what's right. And having to be confronted with those things, I want to hear about these things. And if you can find these things, 
Not only will my joy be complete, but that unity will bring joy to you. Like, it'll bring encouragement to your heart. It'll bring comfort to your spirit. You'll you'll have the love of God, the sharing of the Holy Spirit together. You'll have His power. There'll be tenderness among you and great compassion for the things that matter. That's what unifies us. (coughs) And selfishness. Selfishness doesn't allow unity to take place. Selfishness is all about me and what I want. What I like. I don't want to change. I don't want to do anything different. I don't want to learn something new. Oh, mercy, he's preaching on marriage today. I don't want to deal with that. Oh, he's preaching about the end times today. I don't want to hear that. That's not for me today. You know, on and on and on. We can go on about all the things. But when when we're unified... In the truth of the gospel, as long as Jesus gets the glory, these kind of things happen and it produces joy within us. And when you have joy, it combats the selfishness because that's a Christ-mindedness that we should have. I want to give you one last thing, okay? And, and I'm not doing justice to this second half of the passage. We're going to deal with that next week, hopefully. But I want to give you one last thing for today, and it's this. So the antidote for selfishness, Christ-mindedness, is a lift. Is a lift. Or you could use the word exaltation or exalted. Christ is exalted to the highest place and we are lifted for service. Okay? I'll tell you what I'm talking about here. In verse 9 it says, Because Christ humbled himself, became obedient to the death, even death on the cross, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And it's our goal and our job to exalt him but let me tell you what happens and we just read the verse i threw it in there on purpose at the beginning or, or just a, a point ago and i want to see i want, I want you to see it again because it has double meaning here christ is exalted to the highest place and we are lifted for service so when we humble ourselves have a christ likeness and a christ mindedness it combat combats our selfishness And then God is the one who lifts us. We don't have to lift ourselves. Look at what James says, James 4.10 again. James 4.10 says this. Humble yourself before the Lord, and He will lift you up. He will lift you up. See, it's not my job to prop myself up, because that's vain conceit. That's about me. See, to be real honest with you, I don't know what to lift myself up over because what I might think is something that's coming from the goodness of my heart. You know, I've heard people say this, boy, if I know my heart. But you know, the Bible says the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Man, there's some, there's some dangerous things that can lurk inside of a human's heart. So what the Bible is telling us is we seek Christ, we glorify Him, and we let God do the lifting. But here's the deal. The lifting may come in the next life, not in this life. Because we have to determine what it means to be lifted. I hear all these athletes talking about all the time about the platform God's given them, the platform. You know, preachers talk about their platform that they have. Well, what it is, it's it's an opportunity. God's given you an opportunity, now do something with that. But that's not the lifting that we're talking about here. 
The lifting we're talking about is when Christ is getting the glory for what you're doing and God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's where the lift comes. When you've lived your life and you get on the other side and you know that you bowed your heart and your knee to Christ while you were here on this earth and that you were one of the millions who bowed and gave their heart to Christ and said, I bow my knee and I confess that Jesus is my Lord. And you did it now. You did it while you were alive on the earth. You did it while you had an opportunity. There are going to be some very sad and, and, and horrendous circumstances for people who will have to do the same thing that you and I did, except they didn't do it in this life. They're going to do it in the next. And they're going to have to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. And He is the exalted God, no matter what they thought about him when they were living on this earth and the only difference for them is that while we will be with the father they're going to be cast into eternal darkness in a place called hell that's what the bible says so our lift comes ultimately when we see him on the other side now it doesn't mean that there aren't times where he lifts you now and gives you what you need. But he's not lifting you and me so we can get the glory. He's giving us opportunities so he can be glorified and exalted ultimately. So that's our goal, is to lift Christ up. So whatever place that puts us in, we have to be humble, Trust Him. Say, to God be the glory. Robbie, I, I can't fully identify with you. People who have had cancer can. But I know in my life, I had a chance to share yesterday at Hamilton County with the Hamilton County football team. I was invited to go speak to them in their lock-in that they had. And I talked to them about the three bad things that happened in my life that shaped my life and the three blessings. I'll give you the blessings. The blessings, obviously, faith, family, and football. Imagine that. Faith, family, football. And I talked about, you know, all of that. But I talked about the bad things. I talked about when I was a kid and my grandpa was cutting the grass and the blade hit a canine tooth. Broke my arm in two. My arm was at a 90-degree angle, second grade. It just so happened that I was moving my arm that way when the, thing, when, the, when the projectile hit me. If I wouldn't have been moving my arm that way, the doctor said it would kill me. Um, that shaped my life. The second thing was watching my grandson take his last breath. Never get that out of my mind. And what I did was I, I told them, and I'm telling you, and I've told you before, I used that as motivation to not waste a breath. And then the third thing, negative thing that shaped my life, me personally, I mean, there have been a lot of negatives in other people's lives that have taught me so much too, but me personally, was when I went to an ear, nose, and throat specialist because I had tinnitus in my ears and all this ring and I still got it right now. If I stop long enough, I'm, that's all I'm hearing, okay? And I had this older doctor, loved the guy, 
he was walking out of the room after, you know, we said, we're going to do this hearing test, we're going to do this, and then he said, Pastor, let's do this. Let's do an um, MRI on your head just to make sure you don't have a tumor on your auditory nerve. I, I don't think you do, but, but I, I don't know. I just feel like we need to do that. And he's a Christian, his doctor. I said, okay. So I went back a week later and said, well, I got good news and I got bad news. The good news is you don't have a tumor on your auditory nerve. I said, oh, that's good. He said, yeah, but the bad news is you've got a tumor called, which I think, he said, but I, I can't tell you this legally, but I can tell you my opinion. It looks like a meningioma tumor, which is on your optic nerve and attached to your brain. I went, oops. Uh, I never heard of that before. He explained to me right there. He said, I can just tell you a little bit of knowledge I have about it, that 95% of it, most people ha- who do have them, have them in places that they don't affect anybody, and they, they die with them and, uh, you know, with, uh, from other things. And, you know, autopsy's done for something, and they find them, and, and it didn't affect their life. But yours is on the auditory nerve, I mean the um, optic nerve, and so that's a potential problem. He said 5% of it is bad, fast-growing, and if you got that, you won't be here in three months. So before I contacted my family and before I told anybody else, I went and sit in my truck, turned the vehicle on, got the air conditioning blowing, and I came to terms with what I was told. And Robbie, I can honestly say to you that God met with me in the cab of that truck. And he said, I'm going to give you what you need. If he didn't promise me a healing, You can ask Larry, I, the day before my surgery and some other people, I mean, my parents and all this knew this, but, man, I was giving them my last rites and everything because I said, I, I don't know if I'm going to wake up from this thing. But I can assure you, my brother, that God was there in the midst of it. And the last thought I had when I went under was if the, this is the last thing that I see. I sure wish I was in an LSU operating room. But anyway, that's a on this earth, that, that, that this will have to do. This is second, I guess. But I'll be seeing the face of my Savior if I don't see the face of my family next. And I'm okay with that. That's the lift that only God can give you. You can only get that. Now, I'm not saying I'm some humble person. When you humble your spirit, to the cause and the purpose of God and say, I'm not in control of this life. You are. My life is yours, not mine. Let me have your mindset, Christ. And you'll be glorified through it all. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart in Christ Jesus. Let's stand together, everybody. Heavenly Father, you are an amazing God. You have the answers for us. It's right there. Not just in your word, but in our spirits, through your Holy Spirit and the fact that Jesus lives within us. I don't know what the needs are of every individual in this building because I'm a man, but you do. 
You are God and You are speaking to us. And I feel that this message today, somebody needs it seriously. I know I did. And I pray that if we're battling with selfishness, that we would look to You, Christ, as our example. And have a Christ-mindedness. Church, as we get ready to go in this invitation, and God is speaking to us, I want you to think about as we go into a new church here starting in a month. We're having this relaunch here today. Is it just about you? What can God do through you to help your neighbor? A co-worker. Christ first, others next. What is something you need to obey God in? This altar will be open for us. Maybe you've never participated in a Panther Sunday or did anything. Maybe this year you're going to cook some food. Maybe this year you'll come serve in the kitchen. Maybe this year you'll help us out to greet Let's let God just pull all that selfishness out of us. May have to get in line because I got a lot of it in me. And I need it dealt with. So Heavenly Father, thank you again for what you've done in our lives and in our hearts. For those in this place who need a lift, may they find it in Christ's mindedness and humility. Those who need a Savior, may they find Him right here, right now, willing to save and to change. Thank you for this church and for those who need a touch from you. May they experience that touch today. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. As our team leads us, this is your invitation and mine.